guys, uh, just uh, good morning again. And, uh, you know, here's actually what I'd like to do just to kind of play off the Father's Day thing. If you are a dad, just stay seated. If you are not a dad, stand up, all right? Because dads don't stand up on Father's Day. Let's give them a hand, all right? It's utterly fantastic that at least five women stayed seated through that. And uh, a Deep, happy Father's Day blessing to you as well, all right? Guys, it is our last day. It is our last day of questions you never thought you could ask in church. For the past two weeks, you've been texting in, and we've been trying to get through volumes of these, and we got an incredible lineup of questions um, to hit today. But, but what I want to invite you to do right now is pull out one of these. Take out your phone. And what we are going to invite you to do is text in any question to this number right here, 815-314-0363. Text in any question you have on God, the Bible, Christianity, life, spirituality, fellowship of faith, the church in general, me, um, nothing's off limits. Everything is fair game. And I will do my best. I'll get them anonymously. And I will do my best to answer them in real time on the spot. And uh, let's see what happens here. All right? Guys, while you're texting your, your fresh batch of questions in, let me bat clean up on some that remained from um, previous weeks. So, this person texted, my friend is a very charismatic believer and claims that we can grow into perfection on this earth while following Christ. I never considered the thought that we could be perfect in this life. However, I've started to think that his mindset, whether true or not, is more beneficial because he probably will get closer to being like Christ than some of us who consider that goal impossible. And you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. While I disagree with your friend, that I think it's possible for any of us to achieve what I would call entire sanctification or perfection morally this side of eternity, I think way too many people are way too quick to give up and play the victim role to sin. God beats sin. God's spirit is stronger. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Okay, we sing it for a reason right? And way too many of us are, are too quick to throw up our hands going, oh, I'm just a poor, miserable sinner. Yeah, could not agree more. What does God consider cheap grace? Do you ever hear that phrase, cheap grace? It's fascinating to know who coined it or who used it or who at least propagated it in a way. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How about that for your next kid's name? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian in World War II Nazi Germany. He was part of the underground movement and was even part of a movement to assassinate Hitler as a church leader. So you got to like rock on, love that in its own twisted, perverted way, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer fled Germany when he saw the writing on the wall and he came and studied at Union Seminary here in the States. And it was while he was here that he was convicted by, by, by the writings of, uh, and teachings of, of certain men and, and most notably Jesus that God was calling him to go back into the lion's den, to go back in to Germany. When, when Bonhoeffer writes about cheap grace, it's not theory. Bonhoeffer was arrested for propagating anti-Nazi views and speaking out boldly with a prophetic voice. He was executed by the state 11 days before Germany fell. How about that? 
This is what cheap grace is all about for Bonhoeffer. Taking it lightly. Going, it's free, right? Jesus died for you. Free. Free to you. A gift. It's about taking it for granted. It's about treating it like a life insurance policy or a fire insurance policy. It's about taking this amazing gift of grace that God has given you and holding it lightly and not letting it consume your life. If what Jesus did for you is anything less than utterly life-reorienting, it has become cheap grace. That's what it's about. All right, next question. Who wrote the Bible? Lots and lots of people. The Bible is actually a collection of books, 66 books, many of whom have different authors and some that to our knowledge now are anonymous. We don't know who the author is. But the cool thing in the Bible is there seems to be this thread that that God in some way has authored it from beginning to end, speaking through different prophets and poets and voices, speaking through different times of history, through different angles and way of seeing in some kind of unified story arc and whole. So the answer, I guess, becomes twofold. For all the people who fought in the army, does God give them or does God forgive them for fighting and not having peace with each other? God forgives everyone who asks for his forgiveness. No matter what you've done, no matter what horrible things that duty may have called you to, or that you may just have done and they were just horrible. God forgives everyone who asks for his forgiveness. And we'll unpack this one a little bit later on with another question that we're going to get to. Let's go one more. What does the Bible say about euthanasia? Euthanasia, um, if you don't know the word, actually means good death. And the way that I can sum it up is putting people out of their misery who happen to be suffering. The Bible is actually silent on it specifically. You can't look up in a concordance the word euthanasia and find it. And you know, so many of us, I think, have struggled with this. We talked at 9 o'clock today about this as well. I remember when my own dad was in his final days in an ICU ward dying of lung cancer, and on respirators and tubes and machines and everything else, and you ask these questions, how long do we do this? Should we intervene? What what is the right thing to do for dad? We would put an animal out of their misery. Why not a human, right? Let me just say I get it. I do. I completely get it. But, you know, the Bible has this idea that when it comes to human life, there is something qualitatively different than that of other species. That somehow, and again, I'll ask permission for the cliche, that life is sacred for humans. That even when someone is suffering, dying, undignified, there's still something of dignity and holiness there. And God has never called us to take people of our own accord to take their life that way. It doesn't mean you have to fight for life at all costs. It doesn't mean you can't say, Lord, I'll just let this have its way and that's fine. You don't have to fight for life at all costs. 
But it does seem that God inserts and says, but don't have a hand in taking it. And sometimes God calls us to suffer. It's the calling none of us want. Sometimes God allows it. And what it's our job to do is come around people in times like that and help them pass to the other side, to love them and surround them and care for them. That's what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. That has been their way, not ending it prematurely. Great questions. Now let's hit some of the ones that are coming in by text. Okay? All right. Is suicide a sin? My mother, her father and uncle, a cousin, and several other family members took their own lives. Will I see them in heaven again? A lot of you know who have been with us here that my own dad took his life about three years ago now. No, my dad took... Oh, thanks, Tina. No, I have two dads. I have a stepdad and a dad. They're both my dad. One died of cancer. One took his own life. Yeah, thanks. All right. Why don't you come on up? Got some more questions for you here. All right. Yeah. But yeah, if that's confusing. Um, yeah, do it. Come on. That'd be good. Yeah, but, but, but I, get, I, I get the suicide question personally. I really do. Is suicide a sin? You better believe it. It absolutely is a sin. It's murder. Just like euthanasia is murder. It is a sin. But to your other question, will I see them in heaven again? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Suicide is not an unforgivable sin. I don't know your family members, but if they've called on the name of the Lord, if they're in Christ, they are forgiven. All right? What is your view of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, including speaking in tongues? My view is that they are really cool, awesome things. All right? What do I say when asked, are you saved? Yes, I believe I am saved. Maybe say that. <laughs> Maybe say that. You go, yeah, amen. All right? Rock on. And good to hear, too. Um... What is your favorite thing about being a dad? That's kind of hard. So my, my, but my son Ben is here in the second row advocating for me to say his name right now. All right? All right? It's moments like this that are my favorite part of being a dad. Oh, my gosh. And the counterpoint to the last question, what is your least favorite part about being a dad? Honestly, uh, and I'll be straight up on this one. It's the ways that I see myself propagate things that I didn't like about my own dads. All right? That, that have become a part of me. And watching them manifest in how I treat my kids. And stepping back going, I hope I am not screwing them up as bad as my parents screwed me up. That, that is my least favorite part. And coming to terms with those kinds of, of regrets and guilt and things like that. All right, you missed 9 o'clock, whoever texted this, so I will answer you here at 10.30. Because I answered this at 9. Martin Luther said in his writings to sin and sin boldly. Rock on Luther. Let's give him a hand for saying that, right? He also said Christ probably committed fornication. I'm not sure he said that. And Luther was anti-Semitic. Um, yeah, he was, but I'll tell you, Luther hated everyone. See what he writes about 
people who speak in tongues. See what he writes about Catholics. See what he writes about Muslims. See what he writes about people who look at him the wrong way at breakfast. <laughs> Luther was an equal opportunity offender, Jews included. So, so anti-Semitic really isn't the best way of looking at it because it wasn't a Jew-specific thing. In the context of his writings, what on earth was he thinking? The dude was nuts and he drank a lot. I don't know what to say more than that, all right? Um, but you know, the sin boldly thing, um, it was actually one of my favorite things that Luther ever wrote. He said, sin boldly. Just like Jesus said, if you don't hate your father, you cannot be my disciple. They're both nuts, right? And that's why Luther was a follower of Jesus. What is Luther getting at with sin boldly? It's this. If you're a Christian here, I guarantee you do this. You soft pedal your sin. You downplay it. You rationalize it. You chalk it up to, to weakness or struggle or, oh, oh, we're all, you know, just putting that voice on it doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it more acceptable. It's dirty. It's rotten at the core and it's vile. And as Christians, we have a great propensity for soft peddling our sin. Luther went in a Christian's face and said, no, sin boldly, own up, man up. Look your sin square in the face and boldly let it show for everything it is. Because until you do that, Christ's death means nothing to you. Sin boldly, Luther said, but put your trust in Christ's grace all the more. All right? Good writing. Cool stuff. All right. Let's see here. Does the Lutheran church believe that the Bible is the inerrant, which means without error, all right, word of God? Uh, well, which Lutheran church? Okay. Do you? Yes. Yes, I do. In the original manuscripts, doesn't mean every version out there is perfect, but in the original manuscripts, pen, an absolute yes. And there's different kinds of Lutheran churches, and it's really confusing because no two are alike. I'm not talking local congregations. I'm talking sub-denominations or what's often called fellowships or synods. The one that we belong to, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, says, yes, we believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And it's one of the theological platforms or foundations that's required to be a part of this fellowship. The other really big one, bigger than the LCMS, is called the ELCA, or Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And officially, by denominational stance, they don't. They would say the Bible contains the Word of God, but that it doesn't necessarily encapsulate it in its entirety. You've got to root it out, nugget it out. So, again, depending what perspective you're coming from on that, good one. All right, how about this? Can we do metal worship music at FOF? <laughs> No, there, that's what I need, right? Amen, brother. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mark, uh, let me ask. Mark, can we do metal worship at FOF? Absolutely. All right. Now, in saying can we, will we? Probably not. Ah, oh, come on, dude. It's lame. Lean into that guy up there. Yes, I would love to see that. What is your favorite cereal? Uh, Mark, I think that's also directed to you. Lucky charms for Mark. Me, it's, 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 it's a close tie between Chex and Cheerios. All right. Why, why is there like an awe on that? That's like the weirdest thing to awe at. Okay. It, okay, so got to read the whole sentence. And I, I read it this way at first. Is it wrong to have sexual intercourse? All right, and I was going to say no, not, not fundamentally. I mean, the first command in the Bible is go have sex. It's, well, 
Be fruitful and multiply, but I prefer the contemporary translation, all right? But let me read the rest of the sentence. It's a good command, too, isn't it, guys? Just, oh. We got an awesome God we serve. But is it wrong to have sexual intercourse before marriage? Yes. Yes, it is. Sex is something holy. Sex is something sacred. Sex is something powerful and potent and wonderful and good, and it is a gift of God. But like all gifts of God, it can be so easily misused and abused that are ultimately to our own detriment. Um, So yeah, it's something that God wants that that binds a man and a woman together for life. It's more than the connecting of bodies and it's more than pleasure. It's a joining of of souls and commitment and life uh, to each other. And, And I encourage you, if you're not married yet, I get it. I get it. It's hard. Seek the Lord. Wait. Fight for it. All right? I think I can say this honestly. You won't regret that choice. Oh, no, don't archive. Okay. When we die, will we actually stand in front of God and have to confess him as our savior, Christian or not? I'm going to put it this way. No. You will have to stand before God There will be a day when we all stand before God and give an account of our life. But God's not sitting there with a whip in his hand going, confess me, confess me. No, no. But the scriptures do speak in Philippians 2 that the reality is that when God comes again in his glory, every knee, every knee will bow. And here's the reason why. Not out of coercion is because when you finally come face to face with God and see him for who he truly is, eyes go wide open. And it's like, how could you not? Great question. Let's take another. Okay. Um, Let me follow up on a question earlier. Different person. Is it wrong to use contraception? All right. Is it wrong to use contraception or for those of you who like smaller words, birth control? You, You know, Catholicism would say it is. Protestantism would generally say it isn't, uh, you know, wrong. It is fascinating that, and I haven't done a lot of research into this, but I've been told that, that before the 1930s, every Christian movement and church body said it was wrong. Fascinating. I don't know what to make of that. Um, but, you know, there's different kinds of contraception. So I think it kind of gets into what you're talking about. Um, I'm going to defray that a little bit because it starts to get a little complicated. I remember when my wife and I got married, Um, She was on the pill. And it came to our attention that a lot of birth control pills have a side effect, that if impregnation happens, it will abort. And I'm not a doctor, but the research we did seemed to confirm it. And we made a decision at that point because we think life is sacred to walk away from that version. But does that mean that when God says, be fruitful and multiply, it's like like a rabbit? Um, I've come to believe not. I think our culture has so radically gone to a side of not seeing children as a gift because we love our freedom and we love our space and we've come to downplay family that sometimes I think we use birth control in, 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 in a bit of defiance to that first command. But I would say this, I think fundamentally at some level, is it wrong matter of fact de facto? I would say no. What's your favorite version of the Bible? don't really have a favorite version of the Bible. 
I, I like different versions for different things they do. I like the NIV because it's the devil I know, right? It, it, it's what I've used, and it's the one that's kind of been imprinted in me as my native biblical language. I like the, NS, the NASB a lot because, man, it gets close word to word, and it does some translational things that are, ooh, baby. I like the message because it is so dynamic and so contemporary and so just has this amazing perspective that it brings. I like the NRSV because it's the only Protestant translation that gives you the Apocrypha. So there are different things I like about different versions, and I would encourage you not to marry yourself to one. What is your favorite thing about FOF? What's your favorite thing about Fellowship of Faith? You know, this is what it really comes down to for me. This is a church where we together seem to have a hunger and an interest and a freedom to experiment, to explore, to go out of the confines that, that human beings set up in their boxes and go, what might God be doing? And how do we find it out? And if we don't have it mastered, we can kind of get dirty in the process and figure it out together. And, and what I love about this church is it's a place that seems to revel in that and, 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 and go after that and, 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 and want that kind of thing. To say that God is wild and untamed and, and, and we can openly and freely wrestle with him in the muck through that. That's what I love about FOF. Is there such thing as an unforgivable sin, in quotes? In quotes, yes. And you can look it up in Mark chapter 3. You can look it up, and I believe it's Matthew 12, but it might be 11. Um, it's 12, yeah. Um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit um, is what's called the unforgivable sin. Text more on that if you'd like, Okay. How did the Holy Bible get named the Holy Bible? Well, because publishers who write Bibles like to put Christian-sounding words on it. Um, so the word holy got attached. But do you realize that the word Bible is actually a Greek word? Biblos. And what it means is book. So in Greek, they go, read the book. Right? That's all Bible means. And the reason they called it the book is because Christians were pioneering technology back in the New Testament era. Everyone wrote on scrolls. But they had four Gospels, not one. And they wanted to keep them all together, not separate. So they came up or, 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 or monopolized on a new technology called the Codex, or the book. Binding leaves of paper so they're all together to compare and that's how it became known as the Bible. It's those people that use the, the book. What's a book? Remember like when internet came out and people were like, Henry. I don't know. <laughs> right? All right. Cavaliers or warriors, who you got? Warriors. All right. All right. Let's get that one. Um, no, don't, don't do that. All right. Okay. PG-13 on this, all right? Got five in your kids' ears. Four, three, two. One, you already addressed that sexual intercourse before marriage is wrong, but what about sexual stimulation, oral, anal, etc.? All right. Hey, and I want to applaud you for asking the question. Because um, if you can't ask questions like this and wonder what God says about it, then what are we doing here? Right? It goes back with the sex thing. <laughs> sexual stimulation is part of the sexual experience. It's a gift of God. I mean, God, God could have made us to reproduce like pine cones, you know, just like, 
dust blowing in the air and just completely asexual. I mean, how lame is that? God said reproduce, and he gave you a sex. Stimulation is part of that. It's, it's a good thing. It's a blessing. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be embarrassed of. Nothing to hide from. So, it's a blessing of God. But like all blessings, it can be abused or misused. Now, there's a list of specifics we can get into, and let's find a table and talk, all right, afterwards. But I want to give a warning on this, because maybe the masturbation question is, is kind of hovering underneath. And, and I'm just going to give some kind of off-the-cuff advice on this. You know, some people, they're so concerned about their preteen or their teenager who might be engaged in it. All right, there comes a time when it's time to put childish ways aside and become a man or a woman and seek it in the way God designed, all right? My concern is more for the guy who's 35 and has been married for eight years and he's trying to have a relationship with his hand instead of his wife. And if I'm speaking to you here today, let me just tell you, God meets all of us where we're at. Seek his way in this, all right? And for children's sake, we'll talk more privately afterwards if you want to dig in. Okay, let's go back to some of the uh, ones from last week because, my gosh, after that one, i got to come up for air, all right? <laughs> Scientists claim that humans did not exist with dinosaurs, woolly mammoths, etc., but God made all animals together a, a day before humans. Is this true? Did humans exist with Ice Age animals, dinosaurs? First, your facts are a little bit off. Um, scientists will claim that, that humans did live alongside woolly mammoths, all right? So off the bat, you're making some assumptions here that maybe you want to kind of dig in a little more deeply and check out. But to the dinosaur one, yes. Uh, most scientists claim that dinosaurs and humans did not exist at the same time, though not all scientists claim that. Just because something is prevailing wisdom does not mean it's true. There were times when prevailing wisdom was that you should bleed yourself, right? That you should bleed yourself to get well 150 years ago. There was a time when it was prevailing wisdom to find the humors in your body, to put certain, like, leeches in certain places. Scientific theory changes. So my fear is always to base my entire cosmology on what prevailing scientific wisdom says. On the other hand, discovery forces us to read the Bible with new eyes, doesn't it? And it's good to go back to the creation accounts of Genesis 1 and 2, the creation accounts of Psalm 104, and others that you see through the Bible and go, have we been reading this the right way? Or are there other and maybe better ways to understand the poems and language that the scriptures lay out? How is that for making it more complicated than you ever hoped? Well, I hate to break it to you. Sometimes life is complicated. And sometimes life can't be answered in 60 seconds. And so I encourage you to dig into thinkers on both sides. Some good websites you can read are like biologos.com. Maybe start there and use their bibliography to get you going. How about this? Woo. I was talking to a friend I have not seen for a while and was sharing that a family member is very sick. And he said, I bet that shakes your faith. I told him that it did not, that God didn't give her this illness and that bad things are going to happen to us in the world. That just because we believe does not, 
I think it means does not exempt us from bad things, but that God promises to be there with us throughout. Funny how doubt creeps in. Is what I told my friend right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. What you told your friend is right. Or does God give people illness and cause bad things to happen? Seems a lot of people believe this. There's a lot of people who have a perception of God that he is just angry, vindictive, and sociopath. That he just likes without emotion or feeling to crush the ant, zap the bug, strike the human down. Life can seem that way at times. Which is why the scriptures are filled with this constant invitation to trust God, to trust that he is other, to trust that he is in fact good and gracious and merciful and that his love endures forever. Well answered to your friend. Going back to the LGBT question from last week. As a Christian, I'm hearing we should love them as our friends and family members for sure, but what about when we're invited to our friend's gay wedding? Do we attend in full support of what we are taught? Um, is not biblical definition of marriage? Do we avoid saying something about the blatant disregard for God's ways? For example, if we had friends that willfully sinned in other areas, adultery, gambling, pornography, etc., should we not conform, uh, con- uh, confront them about those two? All right, so many ways to answer and things to hit. One, the place to confront your friend is not at their wedding. All right? Let's just get that on the table right now. Number two, Jesus is very specific. Get the log out of your own eye before you pick the speck out of another person's eye. Do you have sexual immorality in your life? Be more concerned with addressing that first and not using it as an excuse not to deal with it. Addressing it first and then go to your friend because it'll change your disposition. But keep in mind that when Jesus says to do this, the end goal is so that you can go to your friend and help them and not just avoid the unpleasant conversation to begin with. Number three is this. I encourage you to read 2 Kings chapter 5. It's this incredible story about a pagan named Naaman, a general who is an army of the Syrians, enemies of Israel, who goes to Elisha looking for healing from leprosy. Elisha through, through a series of, of interventions, heals him through, through, through God's, God's, God's miraculous power. And, and Naaman is transformed by what God did. He comes back to Elisha, and he confesses this faith in, in, in this amazing God named Yahweh. And he says, but forgive me this. When my master leans on my arm and goes into the temple of Ramon and bows down, and I have to bow down before this idol with him. Forgive me that. And you know what Elisha says? If you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for everything. No, he doesn't say that. Turn and burn. Cost to be a Christian. No, he doesn't say that. You know what he says? Go in peace. Shalom. You got a friend? You got to follow your own conscience on that. And it's not for me to get into that discussion. You've got to wrestle that one out with God. But I find it fascinating that there are times in the Bible, go in peace. Go in peace. Is a God-honoring option? Let's take another. If God knows everything about me, all my choices, my decisions, past, present, future, good and bad, and has already forgiven me, why am I still confronted with sinful choices and temptation? Because God does not control every aspect of this universe in totality. All right? I gotta stop moving. 
God does not control every aspect of this universe in totality. God allows all kinds of things to happen in this universe, even though he doesn't desire it. There have been many conversations of how Jesus was crucified. Some believe he was hung on a tree, and others say he was hung more on a T-shaped cross. Lutherans believe in the cross that we have at the front of the sanctuary. I know we don't. Lutherans don't have an official position on what kind of cross Jesus died on. Just because you see it a lot doesn't mean they say it has to be that. Which is correct and doesn't really matter? Doesn't really matter. Um, Romans crucified in all different kinds of ways. Some that looked like that. Some that looked like T's. Some that looked like X's. Um, Peter was crucified on one that was like one of those upside down. I'm sure they had other styles as well. Who knows what was in fad in the season of 33 AD in cross-making. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that he died. What we know is this. The Bible says he was nailed to a cross. What we know is that there's a Roman spread. What we know is that there was a written notice put above him in some fashion. And how they attached it, you got me. But good one. Good one. Is suicide a sin? You texted that in. In the confession of faith, it says we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. How does that apply? If you hate yourself, it's getting to what the spirit of the command is about. It's not that it lowers the bar. Even I find when people hate themselves, they're still utterly concerned with themselves. In fact, what I find that people who hate themselves are often the most self-absorbed people. And I don't mean selfish in a negative way. But when you hate yourself, you are obsessed with yourself. You are so concerned with yourself, even if you don't like what you see. So it still applies. Have that same level of concern for other people, no matter what the emotion might feel like in your own heart. Can the Christian faith be feminist? The Christian faith, or better put, Jesus, has absolutely no interest in conforming to an ideology or a political worldview, no matter what it might be. It's not if Christianity fits this. So let me ask the better question. Can a feminist be a Christian? Yes. How come we don't focus on supernatural gifts or even acknowledge them much as a church? Um, probably because we don't see them right before our eyes and probably because we do a really lame job of acknowledging any gifts as a church. All right? Why do I feel so distant from God at times? Probably because you're normal. Probably because you're normal. Is the imminent World Series win for the Cubs? <laughs> a sign of the end times. You know, I love what Jesus says in Matthew 24. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but do not be alarmed. <laughs> there will come signs and earthquakes and famines and floods, but these are only the beginning of the birth pains, all right? So take a little bit of heart in that. Let me wrap up today with a few more live texted in. All right. Why do people blame the Jews for Jesus' death? Wasn't it ultimately the decision of Pontius Pilate? Yeah, it was in collusion and collaboration. Believe me, there is plenty of blame to go around. And the Jews in the New Testament are often a way to refer to those Jews who rejected Jesus, or more specifically, the Jewish leadership, and not per se a race. Keep that in mind. 
But you know, something I love, and you might remember when the movie Passion of the Christ came out back in, what was that, 01, 02? I believe that was 15 years ago already. And Mel Gibson, in directing that, because he, he, he sought to tell the biblical story unfiltered, got a lot of heat for being, well, if not anti-Semitic, fueling anti-Semitism. But what I've been told is that when you see the scene and Jesus is stretched out and the spike is going through his hand, that it's actually Mel Gibson's hand holding the hammer. And it was his way of going, all of us are to blame for Jesus' death, Jew and Gentile alike. What does the Bible say about weapons? It says that nunchucks are cool, size are weak. And why are Christians more publicly concerned with two people of the same sex loving each other instead of radical hate spreading so quickly? Because we all have our pet sins and our pet projects. Yeah. Um, how about this? Between Jesus and the grill team at FOF, who do you think is better at feeding people? <laughs> why are some Christians so opposed to view Christianity as compatible with science? Believing in God is the first cause and creation evolution doesn't necessarily negate God's power. Now, I'd agree with you on the second half of that. And some Christians are so opposed to it because um, when ideas come along that challenge our worldviews, people, Christian and non-Christian alike, get afraid. No one likes to be shaken to the core. Which is why Christians included so many people like to hold Jesus at arm's length. Because get too close to Jesus and he will shake your worldview, even if you call yourself Christian and rattle you to the core. How did God make all of the people in one day? He's really fast. Many times people tell me that Muslims haven't done any attacks worse than Christians. They often reference the Crusades. Do you think that Christians have been as violent as Muslims? At times. I think it's dangerous to get into comparison games. Who's worse? That's not the point. Do Muslims have culpability before God? Do Christians have culpability before God? Do you think God cares about two kids squabbling, going, they're worse than I am. Misses the point. Pastor Dave, do you like pugs? Ugliest wretch dog I've ever seen. <laughs> they are. <laughs> if Jesus said, if you love me, then hate your father, yet he said, love your neighbor as yourself, explain what this means. Yeah, too, too many people get so weirdly literal with the Bible and then kind of forget to just kind of interpret his language like any other language. Do you know what the word hyperbole means? It's called, it's a literary device. It means over-exaggeration to make a point. Have you ever been waiting for your wife or your husband or your wife and it's like she's, she's never going to get here? Right? Have you ever said something like that? This is taking forever. Right? Is it really taking forever? Does Jesus really mean go out and hate him? No. What is he doing? He is pushing something to an absolute absurdity to make a point. That devotion to Jesus means him putting him so first, so at the center, so devoted to your life, that every other relationship looks like hate in comparison, even though he's not saying go and hate. So hopefully that, uh, that, that helps you with that. Ah, and we're almost there, guys. Um, got that, got that, got that. Guys, we did the run. We made it. All right? Great, great questions. And I've got good news for you. 
they don't have to stop. As you continue to have questions about God and life and the Bible and spirituality, you don't have to wait until this service comes around. I am a text, an email, a phone call, or a conversation away. And my encouragement to you is this. Keep on asking, because it's in that asking that God is going to bring amazing things to life and amazing direction too. We got communion today. It was Jesus on that night he was crucified, the night he was going to be betrayed. They took bread, that he broke it, that he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. And it was after supper that he took a cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to them. He said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. God invites everyone to come to him and to share in this, 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 this body and blood that he shed and in this meal that we express it in. And you know what I encourage you to do right now? is before you come, just examine your own heart and prepare. Get your own heart right with them today. Have you been soft-peddling sin in your life, denying it or rationalizing it or keeping Jesus at arm's length? This is the time to come face-to-face with that. Just, just confess it to him. If you're doubting whether he's good, whether you can be forgiven, this is a time to boldly hold on to that promise. And if you have been putting other things at the center of your life than him, it's a time to reorient and ask him to be the center again. So would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we come sinful people, messed up, flawed, rotten, cruel, selfish, cowards. So many labels, God, that can stick. But you know, in you, the only label that matters is forgiven. The label we get in you, righteous and holy, even though we're not. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for the forgiveness that you've poured out. May we cling to that today. May we dare to believe and trust. When the doubts creep in, may we not be afraid of them, God, but transcend them with trust and faith. Guide us, teach us, lead us, stir in us. Bring us closer than arm's length. This we pray. Amen.